uh, almost wish you could see the pulpit up here. Uh, I have about four different things. I'm trying to keep my notes and my Bible and my bulletin in place, so I will try to orchestrate all of those tonight uh, as we turn to God's Word. We're going to look at God's Word tonight from Acts chapter 7. That is printed in our worship folder tonight, Acts chapter 7, and we're going to focus on verses 54 through chapter 8, verse 8. I'm going to read more than that, however, uh, to set the context for this text. Now, I said last time I would not read the entire uh, sermon of Stephen again. I will not do that. But to set this text in context, I am going to begin our reading uh, back at chapter 6, verse 8. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn there at this time. We will get to uh, 7, verse 54 shortly. And I begin with chapter 6, verse 8. We hear now is God's word. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set out false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. And he goes on to then, then to give his defense against the charges being brought against him. He concludes that defense with this, uh, this application. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And now the reading from the worship folder, verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses <coughs> laid down their garments 
at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or, or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Here we in the reading of God's holy word. Well, we continue to look at the second section of the book of Acts. I remind you that those first five chapters are about God's work in the church in Jerusalem. In chapters 6 and 7 and 8, we have the spread of the church to Judea and Samaria, focusing particularly on the work of two men, a Stephen, who we talked about last time and tonight, and the other man, Philip, who we plan to look at next time. We saw that Stephen was the first New Testament martyr. They brought charges against him. They charged two things. They charged he was changing Moses and the law. They charged he was changing the temple and the worship of God. And Stephen, in his sermon, answers from history, answers their charges. And in fact says, it is not he who has changed things, it is they. For persecution has always been the lot of those who would stand for the ways of God. In fact, people say their persecution of him was his vindication. He says, you are like your fathers. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? We talked about preaching that kills. Tonight, we look at the aftermath of that type of preaching, preaching that kills. And so the title, Persecution Brings Joy, may seem like a strange title. The story of the first Christian martyr leading to joy. And as we look at this text, we see that, that even in this, even in persecution, God is still at work to advance his church and to bless his church. Even in Stephen's death, God is working his purposes out. 
We will look at the joy that is brought uh, for a faithful follower of Christ, joy brought for a guilty witness to this martyrdom, and joy for a scattered church. First of all, joy for a faithful follower of God. Stephen is described for us again and again as a man who is filled with the Spirit of God. Back when we were introduced to him in chapter 6, verse 3, as they were going to choose these men to serve in the church, brothers, pick out among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom. And again, they bring those names and we read here, but they said, please, the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. As I began our reading tonight, Stephen, a man full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. He would dispute with others, and they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen's power by the Spirit of God to serve in the church. And so for the man who is filled with God's Spirit, for the man who understands the ways of God, when persecution comes, it is no surprise. Brother Squeers last week preached to us from Jesus' own words in Matthew 5, where he talks there about persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Jesus goes on. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice in times of persecution. For the man filled with the Spirit is not as a surprise when persecution takes place. James speaks about persecution and the trials that come our way. In James chapter 1, we read there these words. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it joy when you face trial. For the man of God, there's no surprise when, when trial comes. This, of course, contra to what we hear in many churches today. If you believe in Christ, all your troubles go away. If you believe in Christ, all your problems disappear. That is simply not biblical. In fact, the opposite is true. As Christians, we should expect persecution. Stephen knew that. He, he followed in the line of those who went before him. We read about the apostles being told not to teach back in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Rejoicing in being counted worthy 
to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ. Even in times of persecution, even in times of trial, we see God's hand is still at work. Stephen, persecuted. Stephen, called to account. And what happens? Look at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen being persecuted gets to see God. Gets to see His glory. And sees Jesus standing there at God's right hand. He is one of only a few New Testament authors that record seeing Jesus after the ascension. John speaks of that in the Revelation. Saul sees Jesus in his conversion. And Stephen in his martyrdom. And Luke records for us how he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, children, I hope that sounds a little bit strange to you, that he saw Jesus standing. What do we confess every Sunday night when we confess the Apostles' Creed? He sits at God's right hand. Jesus is sitting at the right hand as a statement that his work of redemption is complete. He did the work God gave him to do. He was received back into heaven, and now he sits down for his work of redemption is complete. Stephen sees him standing. And Stephen looks up and sees the glory of God. He is gazing into the very court room of heaven. In a Jewish court, who would it be that was standing? The judge does not stand in the court. The judge sits. The one who stands in the court is the one who is the advocate for the accused. Stephen is saying, I see Jesus standing. He is there as my advocate. No wonder. They were enraged. They cried in a loud voice. They stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Stephen saw Jesus pleading his case in the presence of the Father. Stephen had witnessed about Christ here on earth. And now Christ witnesses on his behalf in heaven. That's how even facing trial, even facing death, he could have joy, knowing surely that he had been acquitted for Jesus himself was standing, pleading his case. And so he says in verse 59, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, 
Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It was not a cry of desperation. It was a cry of confidence. Lord Jesus, you are pleading on my behalf. Now receive me into heaven. We know that we have an advocate with the Father. We have one who speaks in our defense, Jesus Christ the righteous. We read elsewhere in Scripture, who will bring any charge against God's elect? No, Jesus himself pleads our case before the judge. We know Stephen ends up being killed. Cruelly killed. He was not removed from the persecution here on earth, but he could be assured of his ultimate vindication in heaven. So even in this terrible trial, which leads to his own death, there could be joy for a faithful follower of Christ. We read in verse 58, they, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Again, in verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of this execution. Saul was there as a guilty witness to what was taking place. Saul, who would go on to persecute the church. Look at verse 3 of chapter 8. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul, the one who was the terror of the church. And yet Saul, the one whom God would change and have him become one of the church's greatest evangelists ever. Kind of as an aside, if you're ever talking with your friends, about uh, the truth of irresistible grace. Bring them to Saul. God did not sweetly and lovingly move Saul's heart. God changed it radically, irresistibly, drawn to the work of God. Saul would change. Saul would be converted. He would go from one who would terrorize the church to one who would witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. I, I can't help but think that Saul became Paul. After his conversion, he must have remembered those earlier days with horror. That he would go from house to house and drag off men and women and put them in prison. He had been there approving the martyrdom of the first Christian martyr. And yet, he could recall the dying words of Stephen. Verse 60. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
Saul would have heard this word asking for his forgiveness. Do not hold this against them. Saul could look back and in spite of what he had done, he could be assured that this sin would not be held to his charge. His past would not be held against him. We talked about that this morning. How sometimes there are things in our past which we simply can't get past. Perhaps not, not uh, before our conversion, perhaps after our conversion. Things we have done that are just so offensive to God. And yet we know. We know for certain God does not hold these sins against us. Stephen echoes the words of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. Those who were crucifying the Lord of life, Father, forgive them. When we think that there are things in our past that are too big for God to erase, remember those words. Father, forgive. If you are, are here tonight and are, are trying to clean yourself up before coming to Jesus, if you're trying to make yourself look good to Him, simply confess, there's nothing I can do. My past sins do rise up and witness against me. But Jesus said, Father, forgive. Embrace that Lord Jesus Christ. And know the comfort, the assurance, the joy of sins forgiven. Even this guilty witness could have comfort, could have hope, and could have joy. The assurance he'd been cleansed. We read in chapter 8, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. The church becomes scattered because persecution comes. And yet it's, it's amazing how that persecution fulfills God's plan. God had said, at the beginning of the book of Acts, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They had remained in Jerusalem. And now persecution comes. And where, where are they scattered, children? They are scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Exactly where God wanted them to go. Even this persecution was fulfilling the plan of God. We read in chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered and about preaching the word, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. Philip goes to Samaria, exactly where God had told them to go. And he preaches the gospel. And many signs and wonders are done. And we read in verse 8, So there was much joy in that city. Persecution brought the spread of the gospel, which brought joy. Today, the church exists in relative ease. We are not being having our houses barged into. 
People are not dragging off men and women, putting us in prison. We live in relative comfort and relative ease. And I can't help but wonder if that lack of persecution makes us lax in sharing the gospel. They were persecuted and the gospel spread. We live in ease. We can tell the gospel to our friends, our neighbors, our family. Have you become lax in that call? How many times in the last week, the last month, the last year, have we shared the gospels? We see through church history, we see through biblical history, that often it is persecution that leads to the spread of the gospel. Oh, may God not take us through that battle. We have the freedom. We have the joy of sharing the truth openly with others. Yet how often we, we fail to do so. We don't know what the future will hold for the church. If we will continue in times of ease, or if God, in his sovereign providence, may bring times of persecution and trial. If that is the case, that persecution comes to the Christian church, we can face even that with confidence. Stephen, being persecuted, saw Jesus Christ standing and defending him. Saul, when, when uh, uh, witnessing this martyrdom, he heard the words of forgiveness. Do not hold this against him. And the church spread under persecution. The gospel went out as God intended. Whether we continue to live in times of ease, whether God bring times of trial and suffering, even persecution for the sake of Christ, we can have every confidence. God loves his church. We read that earlier from Psalm 87. This is where his name dwells. It is his most special place. God will continue to care for his church. God will continue to grow his church. And he may choose to do that by using us. That we have the joy of sharing the gospel. Let's join together in prayer. But our God... We know that your ways are perfect. They are above our ways. We have heard of your way in the life of one of your faithful followers, Stephen. A life which we would say ended tragically and cruelly. And yet even in that, you used his death and the following persecution to spread the gospel to the world. Continue, O oh God, to have your gospel go forth. Use us to bring that truth to our friends, to our neighbors, to those around us. May we not become lax in our concern for the lost, but give us that, that godly desire. May we be filled with your spirit and with wisdom to share indiscriminate, glorious truth that you've given to us. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.